A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's the end of the first phase, ladies and gentlemen. It's the beginning of the next chapter and we're all walking through it together, right? On Monday, we're appearing live from a pub to celebrate the opening of indoor hospitality and judging by the weather forecast, we're going to need plenty of shelter. This week, we've already opened Parliament, we've questioned the NHS policy on virtual GP consultations and we've revealed why mask wearing is to be no longer a thing. Today, we've got Pauline Latham MP on to talk about why the government might finally be learning how to deal with the COVID variant problem as the Indian one has now popped up in Blackburn and Bolton. We'll also be asking her about the problem with seeing the doctor and why Labour is having such trouble trying to define what the party stands for, particularly in parts of the country which should be staunchly Labour. And now on, 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we're joined by royal author uh, Angela Levin as the Herbert, formerly known as Prince, once more has thrown his family under a bus in the name of the almighty dollar and is increasingly to spill his guts to all and sundry about how awful his life has been. This time, it's in a podcast with former drug abuser and actor Dax Shepard, who specialises in laying bare mindless celebrities who are all suffering and in pain despite their millionaire lifestyles and pampered jobs. What an absolutely disgusting specimen he has become. 0344 499 1000. Kevin O'Sullivan joins us as well with a look ahead to his big shows this weekend and a view on the ludicrous spectacle in Glasgow yesterday where the Home Office was forced to release several illegal immigrants who uh, were ordered to, they were ordered to deport because of pressure from the local community and indeed from the Scottish government. As ever, of course, we need to hear from you, your stories, your experiences, and what you're hearing in your own communities. 0344 499 1000. And because it's Friday, it's time for the Perrier Awards. We've managed to persuade Yorkshire's finest, Izzy Rowland, uh, to work more than two days this week. She'll be here with an homage to my brilliance in journalism. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course. Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, there's all sorts of stuff on the front pages this morning, but I have to say, even I was taken aback by the latest missive from uh, the Herbert, formerly known as Prince Harry, who seems to think it's a great idea to go around telling everybody how terrible his life is, how awful it is living in the royal family, which he's now left, uh, and how being in the Truman Show and the zoo is similar to actually living a pampered, privileged lifestyle with hot and cold running butlers, hot and cold running servants, hot and cold running housekeepers, hot and cold running chauffeurs, nannies and everything else living in a mansion uh, in Beverly Hills practically uh, moving to Montecito later on and really just having the most privileged of lives talking down to people as if he's trying to help them he's making out that only he can feel the pain 
of uh, torture and everything terrible that has happened to him. I'm sorry that his mother was killed. I'm sorry that he feels bad. I'm sorry that he thinks that he's got a worst uh, of all worlds going on. But I'm afraid there are lots of people, ordinary people, who've suffered in the same way, who also have lost a parent, who also don't have multi-million pounds to fall back on, who don't have a multi-millionaire lifestyle, who don't have people waiting at the gates of their 16-room mansion to drive them to a restaurant where it doesn't matter how much money you spend on dinner because you've got so much you don't even know how much you have. It's absolutely disgusting what he's doing, throwing his entire family under a bus, basically saying that his father was a useless parent, basically saying the royal family are useless people. I think Harry is an absolute and utter disgrace. And we'll be talking about that coming up later on. Let's kick off, though, first of all, with Pauline Latham, Conservative MP for Mid Derbyshire, uh, because she has been a great advocate of the opening up of hospitality. Finally, on Monday, uh, we're going to see that getting more back to normal. Pauline, a very good morning to you. Morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I'm not going to bother you with the Harry scenario because I'm so annoyed about it that I'm not quite sure I can keep my calm and keep my counsel. Uh, but he really needs to just button the lip, I think, would be a good piece of advice for him. Let's talk a little bit about Monday because you've been a great advocate, as I say, of, uh, of opening up the pubs, opening up hospitality, getting business back to normal. Uh, this is a bit, going to be a big day, isn't it? It is, and I think that they, all the hospitality businesses are really looking forward to it. They still have to operate in a COVID-secure way, of course, but um, with the infections going down drastically and the deaths going down drastically, the NHS is not overwhelmed anymore. Even those people who get um, COVID are not being hospitalised in the ways that they were. So uh, there's no reason why we shouldn't open up much quicker than we we have done but we are where we are and so now the hospitality businesses have the opportunity to finally after over a year make some money to pay their overheads and pay their staff yes and and to be able to really make some uh, some plans for the rest of the year really and even get the staff back from from furlough because i was uh, with a friend of mine on uh, on wednesday in a restaurant um uh, which is owned by a friend of mine he got a call in the midst of our lunch to dismantle his entire outdoor kind of area because Kensington Council said that it didn't apply uh, the right the right rules and the right regulations. And they said if he didn't take it all down, this was like Perspex screens, they would come around that afternoon and shut him down. And I mean, we really need to make sure that the councils are not going to be too stupid about this stuff. Well, we do. We've got to use a bit of common sense because all these businesses have really struggled. Some of them are actually struggling to get staff to come back because they've gone and got other jobs. So mm. I think there's a huge number of problems for hospitality businesses still to overcome. The good thing about having outdoor space now, with the better weather, hopefully, I mean, I know we've got some rain coming, but as the summer goes on, hopefully most businesses will have more space to be able to accommodate um, people who want to enjoy themselves outside. And therefore, they can make a better opportunity than they had before when they just really had indoor spaces. And some hospitality businesses have been incredibly creative about making very attractive outdoor spaces that can be used right the way through yes. the summer as well as the indoor. Yes, absolutely right. And very importantly, I've got this from uh, from Julia, who's a listener, saying the next month is essential to the survival of pubs and restaurants. If you book a table and then don't turn up without giving them notice of cancellation, uh, then you are a very bad person indeed. I don't want to say what words she actually used. But, I mean, that is another thing that we want to encourage people it's, not to do, don't we? It's not fair because I, I actually think that the hospitality businesses ought to charge them. They ought to charge a deposit for a table. Yes. Because well, some of them are fair. doing that, which I, which I'm, I mean, I wouldn't have been in favour of it before this, but I think on this, no. on, in this instance, I think I would be. 
I think until things get back to normal, um, we ought to be looking at doing that because it really is very unfair for people to go and book two or three places and then just decide on the spur of the moment which one they'll bother with. Mm. Because when there's limited space indoors, we have to make sure that it can be used and it can be productive and therefore they're taking the money. Mm. And what do you think is the uh, the likelihood that many of these restaurants will get back to normal, uh, you know, sort of in another month? Because obviously at the moment, from what I understand, they're told that they can open up inside, but they can't open up every single table inside. They can only open up sort of every second one. I think it's like at this time, it's going back to where we were before the last lockdown, where you could book a table mm. and you were COVID secure, you were separated and you had to have all table service. I hope... Um, provided this Indian variant doesn't rear its ugly head, and mm. I feel there's strategies we can put in place to stop that. Yeah. Provided that doesn't happen, I think that next time, in five weeks' time, we should be able to open up properly without any restrictions. After all, we've had the experiments in the football stadium, we've had the experiments um, at the awards earlier this week with no social distancing, no yes. masks, and 4,000 people, I believe, on Monday night or Sunday night, whenever it was. And we, we need to look at what that evidence gives. Does it mean that there's a big spike? Mm. I mean, we were told there'd be a big spike with schools. Which opening. didn't happen, There hasn't right? been. No, it didn't happen. So, you know, we've got to be sensible and not panic all the time mm. and not say, oh, there might be a new variant. Yeah, there will be new variants. Yeah. There are new variants on flu every year. We deal with that. Now that so many of us are vaccinated, we shouldn't have the problem of overwhelming the health service, which is really what it's all been about. Mm, absolutely right. And it does seem to me as though the government have kind of learned a little bit of a lesson because yet listening to the early part of yesterday around lunchtime, I was worried that there was going to be this kind of speech made at five o'clock by uh, a minister to say, well, you know, the Indian variant seems to be coming up on the rails and we're going to have to postpone the opening of the hospitality business on Monday. Happily, they haven't done that. They've looked at the variant. Um, they've sort of defined it, worked out that in places like Blackburn and Bolton, it's probably been brought in from India. It's probably circulating within the Asian community. And a lot of the people who are uh, apparently infected with it are quite young. So there's no need to sort of, you know, necessarily panic, as you say, uh, and, and, and shut everything else down. Exactly. And I think they could, um, they're talking about going and vaccinating more people more quickly in those areas. That's probably the right thing to do, to go mm. in and flood it with testing and vaccinations and get as many people so that there is herd immunity, um, which we talked about right at the beginning of the pandemic. And it seems to be a phrase that's gone out of the window now. Yes. But we need to do that wherever there is a new strain that they are concerned about. And I, you know, I understand why they're concerned, but we need to go and flood it and make sure that it isn't the problem that some scientists like to think it is. Yes, absolutely right. And as far as the whole mask debate goes, I mean, clearly schools are going to be getting rid of them uh, as of Monday. Yes. But I'm already hearing that from some uh, individual school children and also from uh, from my own kids, that there are some places still saying, well, we still recommend that you wear a mask. We still recommend that you wear it either in a corridor or in the classroom. You know, they're still not quite getting rid of the masks in school because some of the schools are hanging on uh, to the idea that they should be wearing them. 
But we were told right at the beginning of the pandemic that the masks didn't work unless you change them regularly. And I don't see school children changing them regularly. I goodness knows what happens to them when they take them off at the end of the school day and stick them in their pocket and then stick them on the next day. Mm. Any germs that are on the inside will be on the outside. So, you know, I think it's had limited impact because we were told by scientists you won't need to wear masks. Mm. And then suddenly we have to, we all have to do it. Right. But none of us do it, do it properly. We all stick them in a handbag or in our pocket or put them on the table, um, which could be a way of spreading the germs. So I think if we can get rid of mask wearing, and certainly in schools, because I don't think it's a healthy environment for teachers to teach no. and uh, pupils to learn, um, because there hasn't been the big spike. We've got primary schools where they don't wear them, the children don't wear them. There's been no big spike mm. with no masks. So why are we insisting, or why are some people still insisting on wearing them? No, quite. And it looks as though in June, uh, on the 21st, that all mask wearing will be done away with in any event, aside from very possibly on public transport. And even then, I think people will take the view that, well, if you're not having to wear them basically out in shops, if you're not having to wear them in offices, then I'm just not going to wear one on public transport either. It- Exactly. I mean, they say there's going to be a big fine if you don't wear them at the moment, but that should go. And, yeah. you know, provided that it, I, I can imagine some people will still want to wear them and that's their choice. Yeah, of course. And I think that's no, and nobody fine. would argue with that. No, and we need to give freedom of choice back to people and not be such dictators. Mm. Well, quite. Um, speaking of which, can we talk about the doctors? I've been having a bit of a campaign over the past two or three weeks, Pauline, about the idea that so few people uh, are being able to get in to see their GP. And I know it's not all GPs. Many GPs are operating normally. But there's a massive problem. Alison Pearson's been writing about it in The Telegraph as well. Um, and we've both been getting an awful lot of communication, emails from people saying, this is outrageous. You know, I haven't seen a doctor for a year. There now uh, turns out to be NHS guidance, which suggested that they should triage people without actually seeing them they now seem to have reversed that after maybe some of the, uh, the, the 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 stink that we kicked up about it but i mean there's no excuse really is there for this kind of form of medicine i well i don't like it some people do prefer it because they don't have to sit in a waiting room or, or break off from what they're doing and they just get a phone call personally i don't and i actually think things will get missed because mm. sometimes I understand people will go in with one problem and then say just, oh, and by the way, I've got this. And the doctor will then suddenly pick up something serious. You don't do that on the phone. You deal with one issue, yeah. whatever you've said you're going to talk about. You don't have that chat. So there's no relationship with the doctor. It's not a, a personal relationship anymore. Mm. But what worries me is we're being told that rather than going to your GP first, 111 is where we should access first mm. rather than going to your GP. Well, what is the point of a GP no, then? Exactly. If you can go to 111, we might as well abolish all the GPs, go through 111, be triaged, go, go into the walk in centre, yes. and then either go to the hospital or go home with a prescription. Mm. And I, I feel that is the beginning of the breakdown of the NHS as we know it. But is this something that's been ordered by Matt Hancock? I mean, is he aware of what is going on? Has he, in fact, suggested it? A lot of people said to me that even before the pandemic was going on, um, they were having trouble getting in to see a doctor. Yeah, I think there's a combination of things. Um, Many more GPs are part-time rather than full-time. So we train lots and lots and lots of doctors. But if they're only going to work part-time, we're not getting 
a full-time person there. So we may train 20,000, but actually we only get 10,000 worth of, I suppose I can't say man-hours, person-hours uh, in that <laughs> Careful. time. Careful. <laughs> yeah, might be accused of all sorts of things. Yes. But, but actually, if we're doing that, we need to train twice as many because mm. if you're not getting that personal relationship, you're not getting in to see a doctor and it right. is all done on the phone. I seriously think quite a lot of things will be missing. But I, I understand some GPs think it's great, but it's twice as much work because you ring up, there's a triage system, the doctor rings you back, you ring up, you queue for ages, mm. they ring you back um, to find out what's the matter with you and some of the things they can't diagnose no. on the phone. So then you have to go in. So the doctor's got two points of contact and I just feel that sometimes we're, they're making a rod for their own back. And it would be, I, I know there are time wasters in the health service there are people who are the worried well that are always at the doctors but they should be able to weed those out and talk to those on the phone if they don't need to see them because they're always in yeah but there are some people as you say who haven't been to see a doctor for a year of course and they should be going because there's but also probably, i mean you know people, something really wrong people who are you know perhaps borderline hypochondriacs who constantly mm. ring the doctor you know i'm sorry if you're a doctor that's part of life you know it's a bit like me saying yeah. i don't want people ringing the radio station who might not be serious well, it's our yeah. job to deal with them, you know, and it's part of what we yeah. do. And we don't always put them on to, to air because it might not be a great experience for everybody. But I'm afraid if you're a doctor and you're going to get phone calls from people, I'm afraid some of them might be frivolous and you're just going to have to deal with yeah. it. You know, you need to sort of, uh, at the risk of doing what you just did, man up uh, or yes. woman up and, uh, and get on with it. You know, because, you know, you're supposed to be providing a service to the community and the community has paid for that service. It's not as if, you know, you're somehow doing it out of the goodness of your heart. Doctors are paid very well. They make a pretty good living, a bit like farmers. I've never seen a poor yeah. doctor. Well, and of course, MPs get people who are time wasters. Yeah. We get people that are just... Sometimes there are other MPs. Yes. <laughs> but but also we get people with serious problems that mm. we deal with, but then we get the frivolous people and we have to deal with those as well. Yeah. And it can be a pain, but it is all part of the job. But exactly right. Finally, we must talk about the Labour Party, Pauline, who seem to be all over the place at sixes and sevens. Yes. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know who to put up as candidates. They seem to think that putting up a Remainer, a failed Remainer candidate from a previous constituency in Hartlepool was a great idea in the place where they voted the biggest ever uh, as a constituency to leave the European Union. Um, they're, they're, they're woke. Um, you know, Keir Starmer thinks it's all the fault of all the women that work for him. I mean, where are they going? Are they, are they ever going to present any kind of problem for the Tory party ever again? Well, I hope not. But um, that isn't actually good for democracy. No. But, but it used to be the reason why they lost all the seats in Scotland was they took them for granted. They said, well, if you're Scottish, you'll vote Labour. We've now got the north of England. Well, if you live in the north, northeast particularly you'll vote Labour mm. well they're not doing and they're turning their back on um, the the Labour Party and they've got to come up with an idea of what they do stand for uh, and you know it's it's sad to see the demise of a major political party but it looks as if it's going down that route and the, there's no competition from the Liberal Democrats either because there there's hardly any of those either so I do believe that we need a credible opposition in Parliament. Mm. Um, it's nice to think that they won't be there and we won't have one, but that's not, it really isn't good for the, the country. So we need a proper one. They've got to sort themselves out, otherwise they will die. Yeah, no, I think so. Will not, not vote for people that don't know what they want. 
No, quite right too. Pauline, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Pauline Latham, Conservative MP for Mid Derbyshire, uh, a great defender uh, of democracy, a great defender as well uh, of the pub culture in this country and of the hospitality culture in this country, which does thankfully finally get a bit more back to normal on Monday. We'll be doing a live show from the Horseshoe uh, here in London uh, once again because we do support the industry. It's nothing to do with the fact that we all do like to go out and have a good time, which of course we do. But it is also about the fact that we support an industry which is worth billions of pounds, which provides millions of jobs and which also collects uh, huge amounts of revenue uh, for the Treasury and for this government to spend on other things. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Right now, though, let's talk to Dr. Simon Clark, Associate Professor in Cellular Microbiology at Reading University. Simon, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Delightful to be able to talk to you under circumstances which are seemingly slightly better uh, even than the last time we spoke. Always, yes. It's, it's all moving in the right direction. It really is, isn't it? And also, I'm, it carries on doing that. Yes, and also I'm quite encouraged. I was a bit worried yesterday when, when we started to hear noises about the Indian variant and that Matt Hancock was going to make a statement and I was terrified that they were going to suddenly come out and go, no, 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 we can't open the restrictions on Monday now because of this variant. They seem to have learned that, you know, you know pivot around the variant deal with it, find out where it is, you know, go to those places and, and, and take measures in those places, which is, is what appears to be going on. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that, that was tried what, last autumn, but I think arguably it wasn't done properly. So mm. that's why it didn't work then. And of course, we see what, what's happening with the Indian variant in India. So it's going to worry people, it's going to concern them. And that's why it needs to be addressed in this country properly. Yes. I mean, my understanding of it is that there's a couple of clusters of it, notably in Blackburn and in Bolton, a couple of other places as well. Aylesbury, I think, uh, has got a bit of it. Um, But it seems to be affecting younger people as well. So um, that is not as alarming, I suppose, as, as if it was affecting older, you know, more vulnerable types. That's right. Um, and we want it to stay in younger people. We want to stamp it out completely. But it's it's better to be in younger people than in older people. It's probably there because they haven't been vaccinated, is my guess. Yeah. And also, the, the, the numbers we had yesterday, we, we, we were told, oh, it's gone up over the past week or so. Actually, no, that's, that's not true. That's not what that data tells us. That data is about uh, 10 days, two weeks old mm. by the time we get it, because it takes that long to generate it. We don't really know what it's done over the past couple of weeks, but we do know from that that it is predominantly associated with uh, uh, travel, people mm. arriving into this country, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And, and really, um, that's one thing. We don't want that, but um, that's better than it growing here organically and moving amongst the population. Quite, yes. And I mean, I suppose we'll always be on the lookout for the next variant and the one after that. And, and I'm told there's hundreds of thousands of them. It's not just that there's only yeah. about 10 or 12. It just so happens that we only know of the ones that we've actually named. So so there's kind of variants going on all the time, aren't there? Indeed, there are. And we don't know the vast majority of them because the, most of the world doesn't have the wherewithal to uh, to uh, assess them and to sequence them and find out what's changed in them. So really, um, you know, we, we only know a tiny little bit, tiny slither of, uh, of what goes on around the world, even in some developed countries. Yes. And looking around the world, Simon, I mean, what does it look like to you at the moment? Obviously, we know about India having a problem. I haven't really heard much about Brazil recently. I'm not sure how that's all going. Uh, or indeed Peru, uh, which seems to have to have another lockdown. Uh, Germany yeah. seems to be coming out of uh, the bad part of what they had a couple of months ago. Um, are you seeing a kind of um, easing of it, generally speaking? Um, no, I think uh, South America has gone quiet. 
I don't know that it's eased necessarily, but um, without proper controls, without vaccination, even places that have eased will, will relapse into uh, to further outbreaks. That's just the way these things go. They work in they work in waves. My big concern next is is Africa and what will happen there, yeah. because of course there's virtually no vaccination going on across most of Africa. Well, I must admit, it was always very odd to me when I looked at uh, in the early days of, of the uh, pandemic, the kind of the, the, the global map, if you like, of, of where yeah. most of the infections were. And there were none in India and there were none in Africa. And I thought to myself, well, that doesn't sound right. Surely that's only because they haven't actually tested anyone. And therefore, all of the big numbers were in Western Europe and in the United States of America, where all the testing was going on. So it's always difficult, isn't it, when you look at actual, you know, what are supposedly statistics without knowing what the facts are. That's absolutely true. But of course, in India and many parts of Africa as well, it's not just down to testing, because of course, if people had it and, uh, and uh, just weren't getting picked up in the testing, they'd still be turning up in hospital unable to breathe. That's, mm. of course, what we see in India. So we don't have a real good handle on, uh, on why that during the, the initial waves of the, the, the pandemic, certain parts of the country seemingly got off lightly. Um, there will be lots of uh, uh, hypotheses and kites flown, um, but really that's all they are. They're just ideas at this stage. Um, when people tell you they know the answer, uh, never believe them. They never know the answer. <laughs> well, unfortunately, many of them who don't know the answer have been uh, helping to create government policy. Um, and presumably once the uh, uh, inquiry begins in the early part of next year, we might find out that some of the things that we did perhaps weren't all that necessary. Oh, I'm sure we will. Absolutely. We will find out that some things were more effective than others. But, um, you know, we haven't had a pandemic in this country for about 100 years. Mm. Um, and of course, circumstances were very different. The way people lived was very different back then. So, um, and indeed, I can't think of a pandemic in any other developed nation either for, for many decades. No. So how to handle it um, was largely guesswork. And you, are you one of those people who thinks that some of the measures that were put into place will continue to stay? I mean, we're told that uh, mask wearing will probably become something uh, of an unusual um, act come June, um, at least maybe so. uh, everywhere except, except for perhaps on public transport. But again, I mean, I will say, if, look, if you want to wear a mask, um, you know, go ahead, help yourself. You know, I don't mind if you want to wear a mask. I'd just rather you didn't tell me to, to have to wear one. Well, I quite agree with that. I, I've no business telling anybody else how to dress because, frankly, I think that's all it really is. <laughs> right? Um, uh, yeah, I do think. Well, do you remember how many, you know how many times years and years ago you would see an awful lot of people coming here from, say, uh, Asia, uh, from Japan, yeah. and from China, and they would be wearing masks on the underground, and you think that's a bit weird, um, but that's what their culture is, and so you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't go up to them and go take that off. You just let them do it. Yeah, absolutely. It's entirely up to them. Yeah. Um, but it, it wasn't that long ago that, that you weren't allowed to cover your face going into a bank, for right. example. Uh, that, that, that will become uh, commonplace, I suspect, now um, over the, 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 the next few years. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, I, I've never been a, uh, uh, an advocate of masks, other than the fact we were told to wear them, so wear them. But, um, you know, the, the, the evidence for their use and the evidence for their effectiveness still is, is flimsy at best. Mm. Um, so I would argue that that should be one of the first things to go. Yeah. But, of course, you know, if you'd said that to me about four months ago, oh, hell would have kicked off. You had, you know, uh, Neil O'Brien on your case calling you a COVID denier, telling you that you were somehow <laughs> encouraging people to kill other people. I mean, I've never seen anything like the propaganda machine that the government's wheeled out for all this. 
Oh, I, I, from asks. Tell me about it. I was arguing against them a year ago. Yeah. And uh, um, and uh, I've had all, all manner of uh, abuse. But the, the ultimate uh, response is show me the evidence and I'll change my mind. Because I always will if you show me the proper evidence. Uh, because that's what scientists do. They do not dig themselves into positions um, and uh, insist on staying there. Yeah. And do you think, Simon, that we are, you know, probably not likely to see the like of this again, certainly in our kind of, well, perhaps certainly not in my lifetime anyway, but how about yours? You're a bit younger than me. Um, I, I have to say that there could well be another coronavirus uh, epidemic or pandemic uh, in the not too distant future. We've had three in the past uh, 20 years. Mm. This is the big one. Um, the, uh, SARS certainly could have got bigger but uh, didn't transmit quite so easily so these things are, are coming out of the woodwork mm. if i can put it like that yeah um relatively quickly um so there is the possibility but of course the next one might be relatively mild we simply don't know yeah i mean i would feel happier if i felt like i knew a bit more about how it started because i still don't really know uh, anyone that can tell us that because we've seen the world health organization uh, going into china doing a little bit of a sort of investigation which didn't really come yeah. to much Sent at packing. all yeah exactly i mean it's, I, there's no point. i mean i could ask you what you think had started it but you know your guess is as good as mine but shouldn't we know yeah. more about where it came from in order to prevent it from happening again yeah, I think we should. I mean, it's it, for that reason, and it's an interesting, for someone like me, an interesting academic question, but we really do need to know how these things arrive in the human population. And I don't mean just saying, oh, they come from animals. That's almost certainly yes. true, but exactly what makes them come from animals mm. to humans. I mean, I, I'm quite happy to believe that... Uh, that it was uh, uh, humans eating animals that carried the virus. I'm quite. I would be quite happy to believe that it was an accidental escape from um, from a laboratory. Mm. I don't buy the stuff about it being a, a, a biological warfare program no. because if it was, the Chinese would have made a better vaccine. Yes, but um, I, I, you know, it, it, mistakes do happen. And they, things also, like I mean, if you're going to make, country. it seems to me, if you're going to make a biological weapon, rather you would rather make one that actually kills people rather than just kills exactly. some people, wouldn't you? Exactly. That is what you would do, yes, yeah. rather than just uh, old people. Just one that kills a lot of old people in hospitals and care homes. It's not much of a biological weapon, to be honest. Not but really, no. No. But listen, uh, as I say, great that we are getting to where we want to be uh, faster than uh, than perhaps we would have hoped. And uh, good that we've got next week uh, to go inside, because apparently it's going to be raining all week. So uh, if you did want to go to the pub, you wouldn't want to be sitting outside it. So uh, have a good weekend, Simon. We'll talk to you soon. Dr. Simon Clark, Associate Professor in Cellular Microbiology at Reading. University. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Should we have a listen to what Prince Harry said to Dax Shepard? on his Armchair Expert podcast. There's no blame. Yeah. I don't think we should be pointing the finger or blaming anybody. But certainly when it comes to parenting, if I've experienced some form of pain or suffering because of the pain or suffering that perhaps my father or my parents had suffered, I'm going to make sure that I break that cycle so that I don't pass it on, basically. There's a lot of genetic pain and suffering that gets passed on anyway. Yeah, and the we As parents, we should be doing the most that we can to try and say... You know what? That happened to me. I'm going to make sure that doesn't happen to you. Yeah. It's hard to do because some of it's so just It's in really hard here. to do. But for me, it comes down to awareness. Like yeah. I never I never saw it. I never knew about it. And then suddenly I started to piece it all together and go, okay, so this is where he went to school. This is what happened. I know this bit about his life. I also know that's connected to his parents. Yeah. So that means that he's treating me the way that he was treated. Exactly. Which means how can I change that? for my own kids and well here I am I've now moved my whole family to the US well, that wasn't the plan do you know what <laughs> exactly. I mean but sometimes you've got to make decisions <laughs> and put your family first and put your mental health first oh, do shut up Harry just shut it let's talk to Angela Levin hello Angela hello good morning god almighty I mean where does it end he says he th- feels feels like he's not blaming anybody then he launches into a huge blame yeah. game for his father because of where he went yeah. to school and because of the way he was treated and because of the way he treated his son and how he now has to stop being uh, the same with his own child I mean yeah. you know it's unbelievable this isn't it well we've often seen him say uh, one thing and then change his mind and this is a perfect example. Mm. I don't want to blame anyone but I am blaming Yeah but here's who I'm blaming. My father my grandmother and my late grandfather. Yes. I mean he's only been dead um, just over a month. Yeah. Uh, it's just appalling when he knows that his other close relatives are grieving. Um and also this genetic pain it's a very sort of woke word isn't it? Woke phrase. Oh yeah. Um I've never come across a perfect parent. I think you're lucky if you've failed by a small amount. I don't think there is such a thing. He's coming up with something that any sane person would know by the time they were in their mid-30s. Um, I mean, this is the point, right? This is the point. And I mean, you learn from that. Yeah, you but... think, oh, I don't want to do that. But you don't have to try and crush them. You don't have to spread this nasty washing royal dirty linen in front of thousands if not millions um he's got no perspective on what somebody else might feel no and and anyway no he's a complete and utter narcissist angela isn't he well i don't like to give people titles i just like to he doesn't like them either i think about them which is probably worse um but it's a nonsense. Every generation has a different view because they've been brought up differently and they do that with their children. But I must say that um, poor old Archie, if they're never going to let him see his father's um, family and never have uh, get in touch with them, when he grows up, he might be absolutely furious with his father for depriving him of that wonderful feeling of family and love and warmth. So, you know, we can all do it wrong, but for him to stand there and start then pouring out 
I am a victim. I am, um, I've been treated so badly, full of self-pity. It's terrible. One thing that's um, very interesting is that um, he claims in this interview that Megan was the one to persuade him to seek um, mental health oh, yeah. help. Right. When I interviewed him at considerable length in Bucking in in Kensington Palace yes. in 1917, he was going out with Megan, but they weren't engaged. And I you mean said, 2017? Um, I assume right. 2017. Did Megan 2017? Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I know, I know you're good, Angela. You're not that good. I said to him, <laughs> I said to him, um, did Megan? Um, advise you to do that? Did she help you? Because I know she's very interested in all these things. He said, absolutely not. She had absolutely yeah. nothing to do with it. It was William. He told me that I should go and seek help because of all the things that I was suffering, mm. panic attacks and losing his temper very quickly. And he said, at first I didn't listen because who listens to their older brother? And I felt the time wasn't right. But in the end I did, and I'm incredibly grateful to him. William. Yeah, now, but I mean, this is I the, the problem. The problem, the problem, Angela, for, for for me with this guy is that he's now a liar, actually. Because mm. in in addition to that, right, that's the first lie. The other lie was the one that they told about the fact that you know when Meghan was at Kensington Palace, she couldn't get any mental health help because when she needed it, uh, nobody wanted to talk to her. Nobody wanted to recommend it. Anyone, which is clearly an absolute and utter lie. Well, Harry said he was ashamed and he didn't know who to go to. Yeah. Well, he could have just called up his own um, a specialist. But also, you know, women, when they're near 40, when they see their gynaecologist every month, the gynaecologist asks, you know, because women can feel very depressed about mm. pregnancy. They don't like their shape. They, yeah. They're uncomfortable. And, and she could have said to them, look, I'm feeling depressed. So uh, it's very, very hard to believe. I think that's the problem here. And also this nonsense that he talks about, that he feels as if he's living in the Truman Show uh, or that, you know, being in the Royal Family is a bit like being in a zoo when everybody's staring at you. It's nothing like that. That's not true because members of the Royal Family have a duty to do certain events. They have a duty to do uh, certain things uh, in public, but they also have a great deal of a private life. They not. It's not as if there's a camera on them all the time. And the reason why he might feel like that now is because there is a camera on him all the time because he's invited the cameras in. Yes, exactly. Now, none of us have discovered where he went on honeymoon. Mm. So that is one example of how nobody set out to try and find them. And he had a lot of space. He went on lots of holidays with Meghan, where nobody tried to find him. Right. But now they're pushing themselves forward in every possible opportunity to earn money or just to make the headlines in the papers, which mm. they're doing very successfully, um, uh, and saying they, they were in a zoo. He did say he felt he was in a goldfish bowl. And I think one should agree that it is tough being in the royal family, but the advantages and the, the ways you can get through to anyone at the top of any issue you want to know, whether it's the army or whether it's mental health, they're there for you. It's a huge privilege. Yes, it um, really is. And, 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 and I mean, now, I'm, I'm sure that it can be difficult to be in the public eye. I'm sure it can be awful 
to every time you go out be recognised, uh, to have people wanting to shake you by the hand or to take your picture or even maybe to do something worse than that. But, you know, as you say, there are, um, you know, perks as well. I mean, Bob has sent me this tweet earlier on today who said, Harry lost his mum in a car accident. He had the security of wealth, a father, a family and international love. At 13, I lost my mum and dad in a car accident. I had no wealth, no family, no love. Hapless Harry needs to grow a pair. You know, he's not the only person that's lost a parent. Yes. But um, he also lost her a long time ago. And if you compare him to William, who also lost the same mother a yeah. long time ago, he's tried to make something positive out of it. Harry is absolutely set on using it to abuse his yeah. his own family. I know. Um, and and it, it doesn't make sense. He could have left the royal family without titles, without anything, and gone quietly to live in Africa and looked after um, animals, which mm. is what he told me he wanted to do. Um, and uh, But instead of which, they've gone to a hothouse and they're employing 12 people to keep their... Um, whatever they do and the front pages well yeah. it would drive you mad in any other form well yeah um, I mean he, he reveals that he's a prince he reveals in this interview that he's mates with Orlando Bloom you know, like that bloke who likes to uh, kneel on paddle boards completely naked uh, showing off the crown jewels if you like um, and apparently they exchange information about where the paparazzi are right well guess what the paparazzi happened to be in California that's where it was invented you know, there's no paparazzi on Vancouver Island. There's no paparazzi uh, if you wanted to go into the depths of uh, of the Republic of Congo uh, and look after the gorillas. You know, you won't yeah. find too many paparazzi there. If you want to avoid the paparazzi, I would suggest don't go and live in California. Yes, absolutely. Um, but Megan comes up with this um, quite a spiteful comment as well, saying um, that she's got sort of no gratitude. You know, you don't need to be a princess. You can create a much better life without being a princess. Mm. But it's actually being a duchess or a princess that's given her the opportunity to earn pots of money, to live in a house with 16 bathrooms and to um, be recognised throughout the world. So all that is actually... So hypocritical, mm. but it, it makes you feel quite ill sometimes. It really does. I mean, she would not be anyone. I mean, she would not be getting deals with Netflix and Spotify and doing podcasts all over the place if she was yeah. simply Meghan Markle, the former Suits star, because nobody had heard of her, really. You know, yeah. she might have had a reasonable income. She might have had a reasonable career. But, I mean, you know, we all know that despite the fact that uh, that Harry was trying to uh, pimp her out to the Disney chief when they were at a do in London, you know, she's not exactly in great demand in Hollywood in the studios because she's not a very good actress at the end of the day. Um, and what about the time he said that, you know, my family are the family that Meghan never had? Do you remember when he said that? Yes, he said that for Christmas, the first Christmas she was here, mm. when she wasn't engaged to him and, and the Queen said she could come, which she didn't allow Kate to come before she was engaged or Camilla. So she was very strict protocol there. Yeah. But he, Harry begged her to let Meghan come and, he, and, and she came. So And also how Prince Charles behaved at the wedding when he walked Meghan halfway up the aisle and tried to sort of disappear to leave her in the spotlight all that. But what they feel now is that what's happened to them has given them the right to control the world, mm. to heal the world and to come up with ludicrous things like um, be compassionate to those you know and those you don't know. Well, they're not compassionate to those they know. No. It's part of their family. Not in the slightest. 
No, um, and now they've done a deal with Procter and Gamble. Uh, there was the fee for which is undisclosed. It, it, it would would seem clear to me that that's not a charitable venture because otherwise, why wouldn't they disclose how much money is going to the charity? But they've done a deal with Procter and Gamble, one of the probably most um, global organisations you could ever wish to find, uh, an organisation which makes an awful lot of beauty products which are blamed for polluting the oceans, which are blamed for deforesting um, the forests of, of, of the world, uh, and which are blamed for all manner of ghastliness because they're, uh, you know, an, an international trading company dealing in things that, that are commercial. You know, so well, I don't know, where's, where, where's their kind of green agenda gone? Yeah, well, they're worth £47 billion, pounds, mm. this company, but they have been accused of using child labour and also sticking on prices that you can't change, right. which is also illegal on, right. on their goods. So um, it seems Megan is going to advise them how to be more compassionate and caring. Um, <laughs> what's she going to do? Sit in meetings with this CEO? doesn't make sense. And she's saying what she wants is for young girls to be um, listened to and voice heard, that's another favourite expression, um, and sit where um, decisions are being made. Well, most of those girls will be at school. Mm. And also, you're not going to sit there waiting for a young teenager to tell you what to do with your company. So it's all sort of in a fog. You don't really, you can't really see what's ahead. You no. don't really know. Um, but... Uh, like the book, when they haven't really confirmed how much Megan is going to get, they've agreed to give only 1% to charity, which is um, pretty poor. And perhaps all the money from Procter & Gamble will go um, into their uh, into their accounts. And they could have another few bathrooms added to their well, home. Well, listen, I mean, you can never have enough bathrooms. You know, if you've only got nine, you might be struggling, you know. But, but here's the thing. <laughs> Uh, or is it nine bedrooms? I think it's 16 bathrooms, actually. I think it's, it's something like that. But, you know, yeah. I just find it extraordinary that they're so kind of day class A, for want of a better word. They're so gauche. They're so kind of money grabbing and, and, and horribly kind of vacuous. And they think that anybody cares. You know, he keeps saying in this piece that he's done with, uh, with, with this podcaster that, you know, uh, he's doing it for everybody else's benefit. You know, he doesn't feel like he's moaning. He feels like he's helping people. Well, who's he helping exactly? Yes. Well, I think the problem is you don't want to help people by making them feel negative, do no, you? No, I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, so. what you want to do, if people come from a very dysfunctional home, which indeed he did, you want to say, look, I did, and I've done this, 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 and I feel better and I'm happier and, and we can get over it. That's the way to help people, not to be there grumbling about something you can't change. There's no point going on and on about something you can't change. And you can't change how your parents brought you up. Yes. You can change how you bring up somebody, but we don't really know that. It was all vacuous about, you know, he wants to break the chain, but how is he going to do it? You know, that would be more interesting. Well, I mean, I'm, I was, I'm, I'm going to happily uh, hold my hands up and say that I was entirely wrong. I thought after the Oprah interview that there wasn't much more they could do. I was like, you know, he spilled his guts. They've given everything they've got to give. But he just keeps going on and on and on. And you think, oh, well, when is it going to stop? More. I think there's a lot more. I think there's another documentary in the waking, the making, where they the will waking have might be the taken, right way to call it, <laughs> where they will have taken um, film of various rooms and maybe even of various conversations, and they can then um, go 
uh, detail by detail about how terrible certain things were and uh, I'm waiting for that one and I think it will be yet another nail in the coffin of the, his relationship with his father and his and his brother. I mean the point is you can't trust him even no. because if they say something he passes it on to Megan. It can't be Megan because she's not she wasn't there mm. at, at the memorial service for the Duke of Edinburgh um, and then it comes out in social media. Well mending, repairing what goes on in a family is tricky. You can't just be there and he says especially at the funeral of his grandfather i want this and they say yep fine off you go it's got to be negotiated and if you're telling facts all the time leaking um you can't be trusted so there's no point in in going ahead with it because how can you trust somebody who's going to spill the beans all the time exactly and i've just been sent and i don't know if you i'm sure you have seen this but it's from uh, back i think in 2013 uh, where she did a men's health magazine shoot where she was grilling hamburgers uh, in some very short shorts uh, lots of you know finger licking and lots of kind of you know sultry poses and I mean, it shows you really that this is not a woman uh, who has ever been in any way demure, uh, which is fine. You know, she can be whatever kind of woman she wants. But, you know, this kind of princess thing that she now does is completely and utterly against what she used to do, uh, which was obviously anything to be famous. Well, it's a, it's a cross between a princess and a nun, I think, you know, it's sort of <laughs> purism. Um, but I, I think the, the worst one was when she gave an interview when she was still doing suits, where she wore something that was low on top, high on the bottom, um, open all over the place. And she was wriggling and wriggling. And she mm. was being interviewed by the uh, presenter who, who didn't know where to look. Right. But she was just so provocative, incredibly sexy. Yeah. Um, that um, that was how she wanted and chose to be interviewed. Yeah. Well, she obviously wouldn't do that now, and she was younger. But you, you know, her her son might find that and say to her, "How on earth could you look like that?" You know, you do things. It might be mistakes. It might be to help you climb up the slippery slope of of acting. Um, we all do that and and regret things, but it, it's important to analyze them, get rid of them, and move on. But that's the point. It's the hypocrisy that people object to. I think many people for a very long time felt very sorry for Harry. People respected him. He'd gone, and, he'd gone and done his duty out in Afghanistan. You know, he'd come back. Everybody knew that he had suffered because he was the younger son of Princess Diana when she died and all of that. But he's just ruined all of that now. I mean, there is nobody now that has any sympathy with him whatsoever in this country because they see him talking about how important it is that he looks after his own family while he consistently trashes his own family. Yes. Well, I I would really, really liked Harry when I spent mm. the year with him. He was charismatic and fun and witty and loads of positive things. But you could see there was a dark side now and then, but just the dark side. But it seems to me, obviously he hasn't, but the impression it gives is he's had a brain transplant. Mm. And, and you can't recognise him. I just can't recognise him. Well, I was talking him. to a friend of mine the other day and, it's, and, and, and he was saying, you know, it's almost like she's un, she, she's got him under some kind of spell. You know, he literally can't speak without getting permission from her. Everything he says sounds as though she would have said it. You know, everything he does seems to be something that she would suggest that he does. Um, and he doesn't seem to have any free will anymore. Yes. Well, I think that the, the comment that I just made about you didn't need to be a princess, you know, you could have a much better life than a princess, was yet another way of saying, oh, this family are useless, you know, follow me. Mm. And also about the wedding when she said it was just um, 
an event you know she wanted something more authentic which is why she got married three days before except she didn't Mm. so she's knocking them in every which way Mm. which is very cruel and harry seems to think that whatever she says is is god Mm. and that you must listen and you must obey and and that's what he's doing um one in this in this talk that he gave what was very interesting he said he could never run on the beach and kick a football around with his dog. He could never do this, he could never do that. But he didn't really talk about them as a family or about Archie. Um, It was just that, you know, every second he was under the spotlight. And and when he comes to say what he wants to do, it's, it's a nonsense to say that someone would follow him onto the beach every single time well, he was... wasn't there. he shortly thereafter pictured on the beach with a dog? Yes. You know? Yes. So, I mean, that's the end of that conversation, isn't it? You know, I can't do this. Well, you are doing it. So, what's the problem? And there's a lot more famous people in Hollywood than he is, you know? Yes. Well, the thing is about Hollywood, isn't it, that people are number one, and then the next day they can be number zero mm. minus 20. Yeah. You know, Um and I, and I think if they keep on just moaning and groaning when, as you say, people who contact you have had very difficult lives and are struggling and yet are still trying to look on the positive side of life, people are going to get fed up. Yeah, they really are. I don't are. understand how Americans like to let it all hang out. It's very un-British. It is very you un-British. Know, and I think that's, that's the heart of the problem as well, because people say, oh, uh, you know, don't like Meghan Markle because she's black. Absolute rubbish. We don't like her because she's an American. It's as simple as that. And she's too American, very American, and very embarrassing. I don't even mind if she's American. I don't mind she's divorced. I don't mind anything. But I do mind that if you get what you want, you should shut up and not be very, very rude to the people who've given it to you. That's what I mind. Yes. The lack of manners. Exactly the right. The lack of doing something in the right way. Um, that's what makes me incredibly angry because yeah. I don't think anyone deserves it, especially as the senior royals can't respond they can't say anything on their behalf. No. And they both know that. And I think that is grotesque, actually. Well, it's absolutely right. Angela, great to talk to you again, as ever. I'm sorry it's about such a dreadful subject. Angela Levin, royal biographer, of course. Uh, here's uh, Prince Harry. Imagine waking up to this if you're in the royal family. Harry's bitter swipe at Charles. Dad passed his pain on to me. I will not do that to my kids. Really? But you don't mind doing it to your parents or your grandparents. You don't mind doing it to your boy's grandparents. You don't mind doing it to his great-grandparents. It's absolutely disgraceful, in my view. Prince Harry, mate, get a life. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Ian Collins will be here shortly before one o'clock to tell us what's coming up on his show. But let us, without further ado, talk to Wendy. Uh, Wendy Gregory, I should say, who's a psychologist uh, who's going to walk us through um, the, the dilemma, really, of being a working mother. Wendy, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, I've got four children of my own. Um, I know, I, well, I like to think I know a little bit about um, what mothers go through, but but being a bloke, of course, I would say that, wouldn't I? But it's really difficult, I think, for an awful lot of women. Um, and Paloma Faith has, has kind of illustrated it quite well, I think, today. Okay. Um, I, <laughs> I've i got various thoughts on this, Mike, and I, you know, far be it from me to tell 
Paloma or any woman what she should or shouldn't do. You know, that's really not what it's about. Mm. Um, but I do have some concerns about what Paloma said. She does appear to be quite conflicted, and that's quite normal yeah. um, for mothers. But, you know, on the one hand, she's saying how she feels so guilty about going back to work. And yet a few months ago, she actually said um, having looking after a baby is much harder than going to work. And I would actually rather be at work. Mm. So you know, I'm a little bit she's a little bit conflicted there about her motivation. And as you said, you know, lots of mothers do go back to work. But for most, the reason is financial mm. uh, and they have no choice. And you know, that can't be helped. I don't think Paloma's in quite that situation. So this isn't a choice of hers. No, that's right. I mean, I suppose if you're an international singing sensation, as we used to say in the tabloids, um, you know, you've got a slightly different set of uh, priorities that you have to fulfil, right? Yes, yes. And I think also my concern is she she said that um, really her main fear is of losing her career. And she talked about it as a fear of death, the Mm. death of her career. That kind of concerns me. And again, I'm not wishing to judge her. But the thing is, having a child, as you will know, Mike, I have two myself, they're, they're mercifully adult now. <laughs> oh, well, that's over and done. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it never is. That's the trouble, is it? I mean, no, it never it, is. I mean my, old, right. my oldest daughter is 31. <laughs> She's currently in yeah. Lebanon. And I'm watching the news right. every night going, for God's sake, why do you have to be in Lebanon? Can you not go yeah. somewhere that's a bit safer, you know? Of course, of course. But they do become more independent. Yeah. But really, I mean, this sounds like a cliche, but actually raising a child is the most important job you will ever do. And careers can be um, revived. I mean, Dido is a good example. She gave up 10 years because she wanted to raise her children and and now she's reviving her career. Mm. So you can revive a career, but you can't give a a childhood back. (laughs) Once it's done, it's done. There's no going back. And that slightly concerns me about her motivation. Sure. But but you're right to say that, you know, all of these singers and, and sort of, you know, celebrities are slightly different to the rest of us because they do have a lot more money and they probably have a lot more choice as well. Because if you're in a sort of um, regular job, it's not so easy necessarily to go back. And I mean, I've known many women um, who have said, you know, it was a real struggle because they were becoming quite successful, especially in the media, for example. But then they decided to go away and have some children. And, you know, um, if you do that, you do kind of put a block on on your promotional aspects and on the ability to go further uh, than you were at at the time when you left. When you come back, often you're coming back into a slightly less important job than the one you had before. And I think there's still a bit of a sort of prejudice against women in the workplace in that way. There is. Absolutely there is. I mean, legally, there shouldn't be. (laughs) No, Um, of course not. but there is, but there is. And it, as you know, it's, it's rarely the same for men unless they're the, the sole parent. Yeah. Uh, so, but as you said, it, it is difficult. We've got all these pressures on, on us as women, but I would still maintain that, it, well, you have to make a choice. Ultimately, there's a choice. Which do you put first, mm. your career prospects or your child's childhood? And I keep saying I don't want to be judgmental. It sounds as if I am. But I am actually basing this on, on, on the research and the facts might and mm. um, we've known about attachment theory for over 60 years now when john bowlby did his famous studies on attachment and babies have a primary attachment figure from the second they're born and it is usually the mother because the mother feeds them and not always but almost always and when they're apart from the mother they do suffer separation anxiety yeah. and because they can't talk we often don't realise that that's what they're suffering from, but they do, and it does actually set up a you know quite a worrying um, neural network in the brain, and it can actually affect their attachments 
lifelong. Yes. Now, I know that may sound a little dramatic, um, but I was glad to see that Paloma is going to take the baby on tour with her. At least she's doing that. Yeah. But my concern, all this concern is about the baby. My concern is actually more for her older daughter, who is four and who will actually be starting school at mm. the same time her mum goes away on tour. Now, she's going to miss her mum so much. <laughs> she really is. And it's not as if Paloma's just going to the office and coming back <laughs> in the evening. She's going to, I don't know how long the tour is, probably six months or something. Yeah. You know, she's going to be away for months and months and months. And that isn't the same for the average woman. You know, the average woman will go to work and come home and at least see their child yes. every day. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's really important, as, as you say. I mean, also, she did, she did say uh, that she suffered from postpartum depression uh, after the birth of her first daughter. So, I mean, I suppose um, she's got some form here, which is probably not quite the right way to say it. But, you know, she clearly, mm -hmm. um, like a lot of women, I think, don't quite realise how big of a deal it is to have a child. And I think that's also an issue that a lot of women go, oh, I think I'll have a baby now. And then they have a baby and they go, blimey, I had no idea it was going to be this difficult wasn't expecting that yeah <laughs> no no you're right and, and sometimes in that situation maybe it is better for the mum to go back to work you know if the alternative is being depressed because mm. babies are actually quite sensitive to their mother's um, feelings and they do react when the mother is depressed you know there, there is a it can affect their, their bonding process with the baby yeah and yeah. what and what about the attitudes of, of of men nowadays? Because I mean, funnily enough, we were just talking about the old uh, that funny story. Well, not really funny, but but bizarre story about the train announcement uh, that they had to apologise for because they said, "Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls," and it upset somebody who was non-binary, you know. And we're all supposed to be now much more aware of other people's you know feelings and much more aware of other people's uh, priorities. But it's still quite. It, I I think the workplace is still quite sexist, really. It is, and, and without doubt, absolutely without doubt. Some workplaces are worse than others. I think traditional male occupations like the police and the fire service and that, you know, those sorts of jobs which have been male-dominated, the stock market and so on, yeah. are still very, you know, they are inherently sexist, absolutely. I and mean, I could bang on about this for hours, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can, because, I mean, I think it's quite an important thing, because I think for a lot, for a lot of young women, um, you know, they do have to make that choice, which men still don't have to make. And it might not be anything to do with the workplace. It might just be to do with what I would regard as, you know, what you what you might what you might call sort of traditional gender roles. You know, that men yeah. men because they don't give birth, God forbid. You know, we never have a human race. They'd all have, you know it'd be too painful. We'd never bother doing it. You know, but they'd never have more than one. No, you just you know because we'd remember what it felt like to have one, whereas women seem to forget and go, oh, I think I'll have another one now. But, you know, it, it is, you know, I've never had to make a choice about whether to have a baby or not, you know, whereas, you know, the mother of my children has had to make that choice and she has had to decide. And, and, and it's, so it's not really fair. It never will be fair, will it? Well, I, I don't know. I would question that because in I think Britain is particularly entrenched in those sexist attitudes. Um, there are other countries where it seems to work a lot better. Really? Um, yeah, really. In some of the Scandinavian countries, for example, um, they... The, the mother has a year maternity leave and then the father has a year's paternity leave. So, yeah, but that's can... still, not, but that's kind of, to me, you see, I, I feel that that's kind of lip service, right? To have paternity leave. 
just because you, okay. your, your, your wife or your partner has had a baby. You still don't have to do it. You still don't, you know, it's, you're not forced into it, if you like. You can opt to do it, and then many, many companies will let you do it, but it's not the same, in my view, as a woman who has to say, right, I'm now going to get pregnant, I'm going to work for a while until the bump gets to the point where I'm going to stop working, and then I might come back, depending on whether they'll have me back, but I probably won't do the same job. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right, but it's a step. It's a step in the right direction. I mean, even paternity leave, we, we didn't have here a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and we do now, although it seems very limited. But I think attitudes are slowly, slowly changing, and more men do actually want to be hands-on with their with their babies. Obviously, they can't breastfeed, but... They do want to be hands-on and change. Yeah, but you could you could feed them and do all that. I mean, I did all that, but I mean, I also I took two weeks off. I think when one of my kids was born, and after the first week, I was kind of surplus to requirements, and basically we all just went, <laughs> "Why don't you just go back to work? Stop being, just stop hanging around." So I went back to work. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not I, I'm not sure what the solution is. Mike, do you have a solution? What do you think should be done? Well, about I, well all I can say, and, and I mean, you might get a different argument from, from the people um, with whom I've had children, but I mean, I would say, look, you just have to be as, as good of a parent as you can be, um, yeah. which is not just about being around when they're young, but it's about yeah. being around all the time. And it's about being around, particularly actually when they become teenagers, mm-hmm. when they start to get into interesting situations that you have to start treating them and talking to them like grown-ups and telling yeah. them about the world and you have to prepare them is all I do for the, for the, for the, you know, for the rest of their lives and hopefully raise, you know, children who are reasonably robust, reasonably kind of capable and, and, and you never put expectations on them that they shouldn't have to fulfill. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's about building their resilience. Yeah. So they can actually cope with life as independent. And I mean, funnily enough, we're, we're at the end of mental health awareness week, um, which I wasn't planning to talk to you about, but here we're also at the end of a period of time when we've all been locked down. It's been a very odd year, I think, particularly for, for teenagers, you know, I've got two teenagers who are kind of, you know, okay, but you know, it's been really difficult, I think for them. Absolutely. It's been, I think it's been worse for young people than for anybody else during the pandemic. Well, yeah. not anybody, that's not fair to say. People in care homes have had it pretty rough as well. However, that's reflected in the mental health statistics. Mm. The, um, the experience of anxiety and depression has risen right across um, right across the country, but most of all in 18 to 24-year-olds. Yeah, yeah I mean, I was listening to a story this morning on, on this station, I think, where people were saying that they're quite anxious, some people are quite anxious about getting back out there you know, like if, been, if they haven't been dating anyone for a long time because of the pandemic or if they haven't really yeah. been in the workplace for a while and now they're going to go back to an office and have to... Because you do... I mean, I, I tell this story that when uh, I, my, I, I stayed away from my kids and their mother uh, the, the first sort of lockdown because I was in London, I was working, we weren't sure how dangerous everything was and they're out of, they're out of London. And I didn't go there for about eight weeks. And when I did go back, it was quite weird. You know, we sat in the garden, sort of looking at each other after the first hour, kind of going, uh, what do we do now? You know, we've we've had lunch, we've had a bit of a chat, and uh, I went for a nap. It was kind of, you know, because everyone was sort of looking at each other, not quite sure what to do. Yes, yes. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I think one of the positives, and there are a few, but <laughs> one of the positives that has come out of the pandemic, a lot of young people are saying, because I, I work a lot with young people, saying to me they've got closer to their parents because yeah. they've actually, parents have actually had to talk to them mm. and I know that sounds bizarre but I, I've always said you know it's not about 
showering your children with expensive gifts. It's not about taking them to amazing theme parks. It's about just being available. Yeah. So if they want to talk to you, you're there. <laughs> yes. And I think an awful lot of those kinds of distractions have been taken away, you know, because you couldn't go to Thorpe Park. You know, you couldn't go on holiday. You couldn't, you know, jump on a plane and go, let's go here and sit by a swimming pool. You, know, you couldn't do any yeah. of that. So you actually were forced into, I suppose, um, interaction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is one of my absolute bugbears is how many people, how many young mothers have a baby in a buggy I don't know what they're taking them for a walk, but mum is actually on the mobile phone yeah. and not talking to the child. Right. And I feel like shouting at them. <laughs> I know. Get off talk the phone. Talk I know. Baby. Absolutely right. But that's the yeah. other thing about mask wearing and all that, you know, where I've been told yeah. by some mothers that uh, that they've had to go to, say, mother and baby groups, but they've all had to wear a mask. And you're thinking, what the, what's the baby going to make of that? You know, they need to see your face. They do need to see your face. The babies, even newborn babies, can read an enormous amount from their mother's face. Yeah. Apparently, when mothers are depressed, and it's not obviously not the mother's fault, because um, you tend to have a flat facial expression when you're depressed, mm. and babies react to it. Even newborn babies, they yeah. can read it. Yeah. So it is important. Well, I used to spend hours looking at every baby that I had, really, because they, cause they do something different every time you look at them. You know, it's great, isn't it? Because you go, well, yeah. day three, they're doing something else, and day four, they're doing something else. You know, it just goes on and on. It, it does, and it, it is hard work. No one's doubting that, but it's also, an, I think it's an honour and a privilege. It really is. It really is, and I think, yeah, I think people should look upon it that way because, I mean, we hear all the time, and I don't want to turn this into a kind of a, you know, a sort of a, a, a moan fest. But, you know, so many children do not get advantages in life. So many children don't get encouraged to do anything. You know, so many of them are raised wrongly. And, I mean, it's not for me to say, I suppose. But, you know, you just think it's not that difficult. You know, just put some effort in. Well, let, let me tell you a little a little anecdote, um, Mike. Um, this was a 14-year-old girl, and, and she said to me that um, she remembers the time when she was, I don't know, I think eight, and she broke her leg. Um, but there was there were six children, so she had five siblings. And she said, it was the best day of my life <laughs> because I got my mum's sole attention for four hours. Wow. She had to take me to hospital. And how sad is that? I know. I <laughs> know. That saddened me so, so much. And I know if you've got six kids, it's hard to give any of them <laughs> sole attention. But if you can, it is terribly important from birth onwards to... to Give them your attention to be available to them. So, yes. Yeah. Well, maybe Paloma face listening, and she might take. Maybe she'll take the four-year-old with her on tour I as well. A, I mean, that's oh, what I. That's what I would do. I'd take the four-year-old with you, you know, and just say, "Well, you can be, be, be you know, schooled on tour. I'm sure, it wouldn't do her any harm." Well, yes, and some um, put her in the band. Workplaces have crashes, so <laughs> mothers can actually take their children. Yeah, to work. absolutely. It's, it's, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, delightful to talk to you, Wendy. Thank you very much indeed. Hope we weren't too judgmental for you. Wendy Gregory, psychologist there, uh, talking about the importance of being uh, a parent and the importance of actually being a proper parent. It doesn't mean that you don't you don't have to be there all the time, but when you are there, just be with them, is all I would say. Uh, how about this from uh, Mark, the NHS Somerset trucker. Mike, it pains me to say this, as I was a Grenadier Guardsman for eight years and I'm a very pro-royalist, but I'm now absolutely done with Harry. My oath of allegiance never expires, but I'd never put my life on the line for Harry. Harry again. Isn't that a terrible indictment of what Harry has turned into and what he has become? Uh, and even his friends and old colleagues from the military have basically given up on him. 
because he's just turned into a bit of a disgrace, to be honest. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, just before we do what we always do at this time on a Friday, uh, a little bit of breaking news for you. The Portuguese Minister of State for Foreign Affairs has announced today that British tourists will be allowed to enter Portugal uh, as of midnight uh, on the 17th of May, which, of course, is Monday. So that means if you want to go to Portugal, there was some doubt earlier on that you might not be able to. Now it's apparently true that you can. Travel restrictions in place, of course, until the 16th, until Sunday. But midnight on Sunday, basically, uh, you're off. You're away. We'll be in a pub. Not in Portugal, but we maybe have some Portuguese uh, cuisine or something to try and uh, celebrate it. Right now, though, uh, it is, what, 12.49, and it's Friday, so it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. See, they've all forgotten to do it. It's not happening. What's going on? Everyone no, used uh, to wave when yeah. Marta was yeah, here. Yeah, I know. There's no... Uh, oh, there we go. No, a, bit, a bit late a bit late to the fair. No, there we are. That's better. Oh, but people my. forget, you see. People do forget. Because you haven't been here for a long time. Oh, I know. Not always your fault, I no. have to say. But we, we've only managed to get one Perry Rewards uh, system into the mix, I think, in the last six weeks. So. That's shocking. I, so, I, I do take so responsibility. We, yes, you should take full responsibility. Like Sakir Starmer. Yes. Uh, go and find somebody. <laughs> I will. Angela uh, Rayner, maybe. Well, maybe, maybe. So anyway, welcome. Welcome. Back. Thank you. Not at um, all. Nice to see you. <laughs> yes, you too. I almost forgot what you look like. Well, you did forget my name the other day. I or did. You pretended well, I to pretended forget. to forget yeah. your name. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know who you were. <laughs> well, that's it. That's anyway, it. so what have you got for us? Uh, so this is the Perry Awards. Yes. So-called uh, Independent Republic of Mike Graham. So uh, where we choose our favourite moments. Mm. So uh, following tradition, the, yes. the first Perry Award goes to you. Excellent. For the social media technicality of the week. I've just randomly called somebody on Instagram by mistake. I don't know why I've done it, um, but I've now just uh, cut them off, whoever they are. So if you got a random call from me, it was a mistake. I'm very sorry about it, and uh, I don't know why it happened. Uh, I'll try not to make it happen again. Also, the worst thing about doing it is I never call anyone on Instagram, so I didn't mm. realise that it doesn't cut off. You have to actually physically cut it off. You can't just go click, and it goes, you know, it was kept. It was ringing out. I didn't know who you could call Well, on I'm not even sure Instagram. I knew you could, but, but oh, anyway, well. yeah. You, it, Do you know who you called? I called somebody who has asked to be to follow me who i don't know oh well maybe you made their day maybe <laughs> i haven't run back on for fear of what might be repercussions oh my goodness well i'm staying away from it now if, if you were called by uh, mike graham on instagram yeah. give us a call yes but not on instagram <laughs> you know the number don't call me back <laughs> i'll have to block you oh, God. oh no uh, so the uh, maybank holiday came and went mm. and this is the perry award for, for the statement of the week uh, how about this from Andy about Bank Holiday Monday? My girlfriend used to work for the bank 30 or so years ago, maybe more. Bank holidays were where uh, to get staff out of the building so they could all be investigated for fraud. <laughs> I forgot about that one. Yes. I'm sure that's not true. Well, Could it be true? I don't know. I mean... It seems a bit unfair, doesn't it? Yeah, have a day off so we can find out whether you've done anything wrong so we can fire you. God. Well, I mean, yeah, who who were they employing at the end of the day, if that's the case? Well, well. you do wonder, don't you? Mm. Mm. Uh, so over to the breakfast show um, for where Dal Babu makes his visual perrier of the week. Uh, because of the delays in the court system. Then, um, <coughs> can you, does it really matter? <laughs> he sneezed. Oops. <laughs> That's never a good look, is it? No, it's not a good look. So sorry, yes, for the people on um, 
for people on uh, YouTube, you yes, could see that one. that's very good. Well done. So, back to the Independent Republic. Uh, speaking to our weekly regular, Tonya Buxton, you estimated the number of COVID variants. Uh, this is for the underestimation of the week. But do you, do you know how many variants we've had so far of COVID in this About country? About five, isn't it? No, it's 300,000. <laughs> oh, really? 300,000 <laughs> variants. Yeah. Don't give me any uh, sort of uh, long five. books to read. <laughs> well, I mean, technically speaking, we've only had five that have actually been named. Yeah, that was kind of what I was getting at. Yeah, yeah, like the Brazilian, yeah. Indian, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, South African, South African, yeah. Kent. Kent, that's it. There you go, Indian. Yeah, so it's about five. Okay, I wasn't wrong. <laughs> Five main ones. Yes. Main ones. Uh, yeah, thanks, Tonya. <laughs> Cheers, Tonya. You've got any more kind of, uh, you know, man traps when she comes back next week? Oh, gosh. Well, we'll have to wait and find we'll out. We'll see. Uh, so, presenter Kevin O'Sullivan uh, makes the Perry Awards this week for mm. forgetting the station he works on. This is the wrong namer of the week. This is the home and the zone of free speech and common sense. You know what it's called. Tom, Ra- Tom Radio. <laughs> Tom, Tom Radio. Tom Radio. Tom Radio. <laughs> Tom Radio. What's wrong with him? Tom Radio. Dear me. Well, thanks everybody you know for tuning in. his phone doesn't work very well either. His what? His, his phone? His phone, yeah. Does he... Uh, it goes off in? randomly apparently because it's, it's got some kind of weird lighting um, sensitivity. Oh. And it goes dark every now and again when, he, when he's got it out in front of him. Oh, okay. He, oh, it, he, yeah, it might adjust to the sunlight or... Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It keeps going off, though, when he needs it on, and he and he's, like, waving it about, trying to get it to start up again. So there Oh, is. no, Kev, get that started. Come on, Kev. Um, so, another strange noise coming from Ian's show. I wonder what this is. Mm. Peter, how are you? Hi. Good to speak again, Ian. Hey, you um... too. <laughs> Peter doesn't sound too good. No, no. Oh, dear, Hope he's Peter. all right. And finally, yeah. our, this is a late edition, but thank you anyway, Angela. Okay. Our royal um, favourite royal biographer has earned herself a perrier for the wrong century of the week. In Kensington Palace yes. in 1917, <laughs> he was going out with Meghan, but they weren't engaged. And I you mean said, 2017, um, I see, right? 2017. Did Meghan... 2017, yes. sorry, yeah. 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 Mm. yeah, just as well she didn't interview them during the First World War. Well, yes, yes. That I... would have been a different prince. <laughs> I think. It would have. Prince Albert, probably. Or maybe he was dead by then. Maybe. Was he? Uh, Well, Queen Victoria died in 1901. Right. I think. Oh. So Albert, I think, died before that. So it wouldn't be him. I don't oh, know which prince can, it, prince. can I ask a friend on this? You can, yeah, you can, yeah. yeah. Phone a friend. About five princes between the oh, two of those. Oh, my word. Anyway, well, there we okay. are. Well, is that uh, it then? That was the Perry well Awards. There will be more next week. The Perry Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Confidence starts with loving who you are. 
And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Undaria Algae Body Oil and Undaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.